Tappers, what's up? It is another edition of the Daily Tap for Monday, February 22nd. Hope everybody is doing well. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about why Giannis is an MVP candidate, even though it is a 0.0% chance that he will win it. We will talk also about the Bucks' kind of last couple games, where they're at now. Uh, Drew Holiday maybe returning on on Tuesday. Huge lift for the Bucks, obviously. There, uh, we'll talk also about Omar Nevarez, and if you're buying into a comeback season from the Brewers catcher. And lastly, we will talk about Christian Kirksey and Rick Wagner no longer being on the Packers and the Packers kind of starting their cap space stuff. And if there is some time, I want to mention golf because I I want to mention just my sort of experience with golf, what I, what I do watching golf and how I just can't seem to fit it in with what I do on Snowtap. So we'll we'll talk about that at the tail end because I don't know how many of you actually care. But maybe there is some of you. Who knows? But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. So Giannis Antetokounmpo is on what we'd like to call a hot streak. He had 38 points last night. He had 18 rebounds. The dude was a monster. He had 19 free throws made uh, in a big Bucks win over the Sacramento Kings. Definitely a get-right spot for the Bucks offense. They scored 128 points. They were fantastic offensively, mostly Giannis and Chris Middleton in that case because they combined for 70 points. But we'll talk a little more about Bucks you know, where they are right now and kind of get a gut check there. But really where I want to talk about is what Giannis has done in the last seven games. So Giannis is not necessarily, at the, or the Bucks, excuse me, not Giannis. The Bucks have been struggling of late. They, you know, have lost five of their last seven in these seven games. So it's not necessarily one thing to look at and say, all right, it's the player versus the actual team sort of thing. But what Giannis is doing is absolutely absurd. Here is his last seven games. 47, 11, and 5. 29-15-6. 24-17-10. 34-10-8. 23-8-12. 29-19-8. And 38-18-4. Giannis has been very good for the month of February, where I'm advocating that he should be player of the month. And there will not be a single thing of MVP chatter for Giannis. And that's okay. I know that there will be a lot of Bucks fans that will be like, oh, the Bucks get no respect, that no one likes the Bucks, anybody but the Bucks. Look, I get it. We all do it. And, I, and there are times where I'm like, look, I don't think the Bucks get the respect that they deserve, but I all and I also think Giannis doesn't because I watch Zion on Sunday a little bit and Zion's getting calls that Giannis definitely doesn't, and I'm like, you know, that's crazy to me that Gian, that Zion might have a better whistle than Giannis. That that is ridiculous to me, but that's here nor there. But I'm not going to wring my hands about Giannis not getting an MVP vote or getting MVP attention. Let's just put it that way. He might get lobbed in there. They might have a conversation on first take about it. You might have Kendrick Perkins saying some dumb shit 
um, because that's what Kendrick Perkins likes to do, who's kind of built a brand around being a Giannis hater, similar to what Greg Jennings did uh, building his brand around being an Aaron Rodgers hater. So the fact of the matter is, is that Giannis will get some attention maybe, but the, but he will not actually get any sort of MVP first team votes because team, guys don't win MVP three straight years in a row. It just doesn't happen. Uh, they, it hasn't happened. I don't think it ever has. Michael Jordan had this with Karl Malone where Karl Malone inexplicably won an MVP because people were just tired of voting for Michael Jordan. Um, you've seen this in other sports, like Brett Favre won three MVPs, but he shared that last one with Barry Sanders because similarly people were tired of voting for Brett Favre for MVP. At some point you sort of get this fatigue with the player. And now there have been others who have been critical of Giannis this season saying we need more from Giannis. Giannis might've hit his peak. And I argue that some of what I've seen from Giannis in the last month has been the best basketball of Antetokounmpo's career. Antetokounmpo said, fuck the three-pointer. I'm not going to be shooting it as much. He's only shooting three per game for the month of February. And he is just taking everything into the post. Right now, shooting 55%, which is actually lower than what he was shooting in January. But I'd argue that he's doing more kind of inside and trying more things and making it more of a point to do that. Also shooting 74% from the free throw line. He's averaging 29 points, which is right around where he was last month. His rebounds are up and his assists are up. He's averaging 29, 12, almost 13, and six assists. That's pretty damn good for the Greek freak. Also, his turnovers are down by nearly a half turnover. It's 3.5, which is great. And his fouls are down. He's only at three fouls per game. He was at 3.4 last last month. So we have seen improvement from Antetokounmpo. The Bucks might have been struggling through that rough patch, but Antetokounmpo was not. And he's playing great basketball. And I think that is what you love to see as a Bucks fan. Like, I think there is an element of patience that we have to have with this team right now because you look at what Giannis is doing and you see it. Like, you see the fadeaway. You see the the uh, spin move that he had at the end of the game where he put the Kings defender in a spin cycle and it was almost, I don't want to say it was Hakeem Olajuwon, but you got a little bit of some Hakeem Olajuwon vibes. There's some Kevin McHale vibes. Like, Giannis is doing things in the post that I don't think we've seen this since the season. And he's not afraid to take guys down there and co- sort of put them in that torture rack. And because of that, he's becoming a better player and he's learning more and he's learning different things and learning, you know, what when guys are kind of leaning on one side, he goes to the other side. And I just think he's becoming a more efficient basketball player. And it's one of those things where I see the future. I see that this is going to pay off in the playoffs. I believe that Giannis is going to only get better. And you add Holiday back to the mix. We'll talk about here in a second. You add Drew Holiday back into the mix. And it's only going to make Giannis thrive in this sort of post-interior position. He is not worried about three-pointers. When they come to him, sure, he'll take a three every now and again. You know, he... He had he was one of two last night. Like he will shoot a three, but he hasn't shot more than five threes this month. And he's only shot five threes 
on two occasions, against Denver on Monday the 8th and against Oklahoma City. Other than that, Giannis is ignoring the three-point basket, and he seems perfectly content not shooting them. It doesn't seem like Giannis has a desire, and because his free throw percentage is up, I think Giannis is less reliant on the three. I think because he is 75% from, from the line, Giannis is willing to take it to these guys and get more fouls and make more, you know, make more of his points at the free throw stripe. And I'll also add to it that I think Giannis shooting more, so he's at 10 attempts, actually he's actually crazy enough, at the same amount of attempts that he was last month. But still, it feels like he's shooting more, especially in the last few games where against Phoenix, he shot 21. He shot 14 against Toronto in their first game. He shot 24 last night. It just feels like Giannis is getting more of the line, and it feels like he wants to get to the free throw line. It doesn't feel like Giannis is shying away from the free throws and shying away from contact. And I think there were times last month and last year even where Giannis would kind of divert himself from contact, settle for three-pointers because he didn't want to get fouled, and it had, it meant that he had to be on the free throw line. So we'll see if this continues for Antetokounmpo. We'll see if Giannis can keep up sort of this free throw hot streak that he's on because if he can, the Bucks the Bucks become a different team, right? The Bucks become a completely different team if Giannis is making his free throws like this. And just looking back at his game logs from last month or last year, excuse me, before the pandemic, there was never a month where Giannis was shooting 75% from the free throw line. And that's only going to make him more effective and more dominant because teams are going to be like, well, I can't hack Giannis because if we hack Giannis, he's going to go to the free throw line and make them. It's tough, man. Right now, Giannis has a better free throw percentage than LeBron James in the month of February. And it's, I think it's unlocking a lot of things for him. And I know that sounds crazy and you're like, wow. But I think it does a lot for his confidence because I think he can do it all. I think it means the arsenal is open. I don't think he is, you know, not attacking the rack because he's like, well, what if I get fouled and I miss two free throws? That's, that's not going to help my team. I don't think Giannis is worried about that right now. And it's, it's been awesome to see. And yeah, the Bucks, you know, just turned it around the last two games, but at least the production of Giannis has been there, and I think that can pay off in the in the long run for the Bucks and their playoff run. Quickly on just Milwaukee in general. So yeah, they had two wins this weekend against Oklahoma City and Minnesota, or not Minnesota. They haven't played Minnesota. They'll play Minnesota on on thir- Tuesday. Getting ahead of myself. Oklahoma City and Sacramento. Now two of the kind of bottom feeders. I will admit, Sacramento or uh, Oklahoma City is scrappy. Sacramento is not. Sacramento had came in. They had lost six straight. Milwaukee sort of delivered the hammer to them. As I said in the blog, it was a slump buster game. Milwaukee needed to sort of rebound nicely against an, a defense that has been bad. And Milwaukee got that out of Sacramento. And just laid the hammer down. And it was a great game for Giannis and Chris Middleton. You saw some bright spots with Dante DiVincenzo too with 16 points. And really... Finishing around the rim, which has been a problem for DiVincenzo so far this season. So you really like to see that as well. But 
the fact is, is the Bucks just kind of needed to feel good. They need to see some putts go in. We'll talk a little golf at the very end of this, but they needed to see some putts go in, and I think that's what this weekend was. Yeah, the the offense wasn't great on on Friday, but you know what? The defense was. You held Oklahoma City to 85 points. That's pretty good in today's NBA. You're not holding teams under 90 points in in today's NBA. And after your defense has looked suspect at best without Drew Holiday, you're able to put up an 85, you know, hold a team to 85 points. That's good. That's something you should be really proud of. And I I think the Bucs probably were. And then you figure out the offense against Sacramento. Now you'll play Minnesota on Tuesday night. Minnesota gets a new coach. That always makes me a little nervous. No matter the sport, when you get a new coach, it you tend to play a little harder. I expect Minnesota is going to give Milwaukee quite the effort. I do think Minnesota is a bad matchup for Milwaukee, especially the Giannis Carl Anthony Towns matchup because Carl Anthony Towns cannot play defense on Antetokounmpo and it's going to be a problem. So they don't have anyone to really guard Giannis. I also don't think they have anyone to really guard Chris Middleton. So despite that you might get a little more of a spirited effort from the Timberwolves, I do think that Middleton and Giannis outweigh whatever the Timberwolves are bringing to the table. I'll also add the fact that you're going to have 18,000 fans, just like they did last night, I think is really going to help. And Giannis talked about it after the game, that it was just a different energy and it fired us up. So I do think having all those fans there is going to make a difference for the Bucks, and they aren't going to want to let down the fans. And I think that... I think that matters, and I think they take a great amount of pride. So while I am a little nervous about Minnesota, I'm definitely not saying, oh, they're going to lose this game because they'll be double-digit favorites, but I definitely would not bet the Bucks. Would not recommend that. Um, they might get Drew Holiday back as well. Drew Holiday has been battling COVID. I think it's the worst-kept secret in Milwaukee, um, and he had he had been firing positive tests from things that I had heard that he, he had basically just kept firing positive tests and it, finally, he must have turned up negative because he was on the bench uh, yesterday, which means that he's probably on the road to recovery. And he has been putting in some negative tests and maybe he'll be able to play on Tuesday. I'm not sure what the NBA protocol is. If you need to have seven days of, of negative tests, I don't think so. Um, so we'll see if Holiday is able to go on Tuesday. If not Tuesday, it sounds like he'll be able to go on, on Thursday against his old mates, the Pelicans, who the Bucks definitely owe owe a game to, um, because they they have not they lost to that Pelicans team, and that was a bad loss. And I know New Orleans is playing a little bit better offensively than they were when the Bucks lost to them uh, a month ago, but still they owe the Pelicans an ass kicking on Thursday night. Um, and real quickly too, just to finish off with the Bucks, not to sound like an old man, but what are we doing playing? games at 8 p.m. on Sunday. That's just too late. Like no one needs an 8 p.m. game on a Sunday. I was able to stay awake. I was able to do the review. Not a big deal. But no, why can't we play this game at like six? Like why, why does it need to be at eight? Was it, are we, were we catering to the Kings because they played at eight the night prior against Chicago? Like why can't this game be at four o'clock? Like I, I had no plans of going to the game or even seeking out tickets, but also, how do you even want to go to this game? Because by the time you're home, it's like 11 o'clock on a Sunday. It's terrible. So, And they would play 8.30 on Thursday night against New Orleans, which 
that is a little bit oh that's okay because it's Thursday night, right? Like you take off Friday or you're you're just Friday doesn't really matter as much, but 8:30 on Friday means yeah, you're probably in bed home by 11:30. Like that that's hot, that's tough. Even if you're only at 18,000 fans or 18 yeah, 18,000. You like you're not going to it's still going to feel like you're not going to be home until very late. So yeah, Bucks Pelicans late game on Thursday, so we'll we'll bring back those complaints probably on Friday's show as well. But that does it for the Bucks this time around. Uh, obviously, when we have other games this week, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about them. We have the All Star reserves coming out on Tuesday. Mitch and I will definitely talk about that more on Wednesday's ta- or Thursday's tapping the keg. Um, and maybe we'll get the schedule. I know that there were some r- reports rumors that teams had seen a draft of the schedule this weekend. Um, My guess is that they will release the all-star reserves and then the schedule will come after. So hopefully Mitch and I timed this out well. That has worked out for us in the past and it also has blown up in our face. So you you never know. So stay tuned for tapping the keg on Thursday. But let's move on. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. Kind of switch to the other Milwaukee team as you know, uh, they are in spring training. Pitchers and catchers reported last Wednesday. And one of the things in terms of catchers that people are talking about are is Omar Navarez. Omar Navarez had a awful year last season. Uh, it was not good for Narvaez. He did not play well. Um, it was definitely disappointing because I think a lot of people expected the most out of Omar Narvaez, and it, it just did not happen. Um, he was not good, and yet Omar Narvaez kind of said, all right, this is going to be a little bit different. It was really interesting to hear that Andy Haynes, the hitting coach for the Brewers, spent some time with Narvaez in Florida this January. Him and Avisail Garcia, they all worked together at a hitting facility, watched video, discussed routine, and had a plan for the season. This is via Sophia Minert. Um, and also, I guess, Cuban coffee has become a new thing. I don't hate it. Cuban coffee, I guess, is even more caffeinated than regular coffee. If that's what's going to get the Brewers by and that's what's going to make them an offensive juggernaut, I'm all for it. But it seems to me that Narvaez has really struggled. And the fact that they could not have video for previous at-bats really affected, I think, what the Brewers do from a hitting philosophy. And maybe that's why Haynes kept his job. Remember, I was very critical of Andy Haynes. I thought Andy Haynes should be fired. I know we've talked about on this podcast a few times recently with all the Mike Boonholzer stuff and the Mike Pettin stuff that we have a penchant. We're pe- we're, we just want to fire people. Like for whatever reason, that has become our culture in our society for sports is that everybody wants that person to lose their job versus just saying, all right, let's, you know, give it some time. Let's sort of feel it out. Like you have to be the best right away. And so maybe I was a little bit too harsh on Haynes last summer saying like, look, why isn't this guy producing? This offense has just taken a step back. And I hated, just hated hated the Brewers approach in the first four innings. I think that's what drove me crazy. And I've mentioned this a few times, so I apologize for sounding like uh, beating the drum here, but like nothing was worse than like 
tuning in a little late, like you get done with a workout, you're making dinner, you're firing up your uh, tablet to watch the Brewers, and you hear Brian Anderson, well, the Brewers, it's inning three, and we they still don't have a hit. Like, how many fucking times did we hear that this year? Like, that's that just it needs to stop. And that's where I'm more at, like, Andy Haynes, I need more out of them. Like, I need them to be a little more aggressive at the plate to start. And I don't know how video can help that. Um, because, you know, video is one of those things where you'll it'll help for the second or third at-bat, not necessarily the first one. So I do want the Brewers' approach to be a little bit better when it comes to that first at-bat through. But it does seem like Haynes has a plan, not only for Narvaez and Garcia, but for guys like Yelich, for Lorenzo Cain, for Keston Hura. I think there is a real focus on how to make this offense better and that no one was satisfied with it. And I commend Haynes for kind of working through it, also spending part of his offseason working with some of the players on the Brewers roster. He, he deserves that credit, right? And so Narvaez kind of wanting to be back into the thread, we'll see if he can kind of make it happen. Um, you know, he he basically said everything got out of control. To me, it feels like there's no excuses. This is per Adam McAlvey. I mean, that's good, right? Own your shit. And, and maybe it was just a bad year. And I think Mitch has mentioned this a little bit, where should we just throw out 2020? Like, should we just not even care about what happened in 2020 for baseball in terms of individual production? Like, we saw how bad Yelich was. We saw how good of a season, like, a guy like Jed Jerko had. Now, Jed Jerko still doesn't have a job. I don't think the Brewers are going to sign him. There are people who've made a case about Travis Shaw. You know, there was an interesting article in Fangraphs over the weekend about basically the case for Travis Shaw is that he kind of overdid it with launch angle and he kind of screwed up his swing and he brought it down last year. And if he brings it back down to where it was when he was really successful, maybe Travis Shaw will be, will have a good year and maybe he'll actually bounce back like the Brewers are kind of hoping. And I, I do, you know, put that layer in that he's taking a minor league deal. This is not a guy who's getting a full major league contract with the Milwaukee Brewers. So I do think that Shaw, you know, has that opportunity. And I also think that Narvaez has the opportunity to bounce back. And I would argue Yelich is probably the biggest bounce back candidate and potential there. I think also with Narvaez is how is he going to catch the game? I think, you know, people who know baseball a little bit could see that the pitchers were better with Manny Pena, that the, and the numbers bared it out. It wasn't even just they could see it. It was the numbers showed how better the Brewers were when Manny Pena was behind the plate versus Narvaez. Now, those guys are close. They're both Venezuelan. Like, they have a good relationship. So you hope that Narvaez, and Pena had mentioned last year that he wanted to make Narvaez into a defensive catcher. Like, he wanted to give him the skills that he would need to call a game and work with those guys. So I do hope another year of Narvaez working with Manny Pena can lead him to kind of call a game similar to what Pena does. And that, and there's a reason why the Brewers have kept Manny around because Manny just does really well and I think he's a great second catcher. I don't think he should be starting, but I do I I will try to preach a little more patience with Narvaez, but he's definitely on the hot seat. 
You know, no question about it. If he has a really bad start to the season, I think there's going to be a lot of people wanting to see a change at catcher. And I thought I contend the Brewers should have started over. And apparently they're they're throwing out 2020 and think that they have, you know, a, a way in with the Narv dog. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. So the Green Bay Packers make some moves over the weekend. They cut Christian Kirksey. And Ricky Wagner, uh, both are no longer part of the, the Packers for now. Um, we'll see if they they come back at a lesser amount of money. I'm not really thinking that's the case with Kirksey. Remember, Kirksey was a Mike Pettin guy. Um, so, and that was part of the reason why the Packers brought him in. And also, I think they didn't expect to get production like they did out of Chris Barnes, who was an undrafted uh, free agent. And Chris Barnes has been awesome. And he's a starter next year on the depth chart, no matter what the Packers do in the NFL draft. Same goes with Kamal Martin. So the Packers kind of have it established that they have their linebacking crew. And I think they want to get probably a little bit of a different linebacker with Kirksey than Kirksey to kind of match what we've heard about wanting a Vic Fangio style defense. And Kirksey just lost some steam. He's just not the same linebacker that he was a few years ago, whether that's injury, whether that's old age. He just was not the same guy that I think the Packers had maybe hoped for when they signed him right before COVID started. So it is what it is. I'm not really like that, like, oh, thank God they're not bringing Kirksey back. Like if they brought him back at a lesser amount, I'd say, all right, whatever. It adds linebacker depth because right now your middle linebacker depth is Ty Summers. And I don't think any of us want to start the season with Ty Summers as the only backup middle linebacker. So whether this means that they are going to draft a middle linebacker early in the draft, or if it means they're going to go after one in free agency. Now, granted, we know they don't have a ton of money, which we can get to here after we talk about Ricky Wagner. But I I think that the, the, the Packers are, you know, obviously okay with moving on from Christian Kirksey. I don't think any of us expected Kirksey to stay on this roster as the Packers needed to make moves to kind of get that cap down. As for Wagner, who I know he goes by Rick, I just am so used to calling him Ricky Wagner because he played in you know the suburban Milwaukee area where I did, and he's around my same age. I think he's actually a year younger than me, which again makes you just feel old. But anyways, Wagner, uh, it got released. Now he had a big contract; they gave him two years over ten million dollars. So the Packers are trying to kind of cut a little cost with Wagner and see if maybe they can bring him back. I don't know if they'll be able to. I thought Wagner did a really good job as sort of that swing tackle last year. I know that there was some issues with him against Tampa both games, and maybe that that's where it comes down to is like, we needed you when we we're facing the best pass rush in football, and you just kind of didn't live up to it in either game. Remember, Bakhtiari got hurt in that first game, and Wagner was an absolute mess at left tackle in that one. Now, Bakhtiari came back and kind of steadied things, but Wagner just did not necessarily do what I think the Packers wanted him to do, and they have a bunch of young guys you know, ready and willing to play, whether that means pushing Elton Jenkins out to tackle when they need to. They have John Runyon. They have Simon Stefanczyk, who's interior. J- Jake Hansen, who's also an interior guy. 
So maybe because they have all these young interior guys that I'm sure they're high on, and Brian Gunagust has been so good at drafting offensive linemen that they're okay with letting Wagner go because they'll either build through the draft or they'll pick up a Wagner-like guy at the tail end of free agency when the dust is settled. And maybe that's a way, maybe it's bringing back Wagner. Maybe it's Jared Veld here, who I believe they still have signed. I have no idea. They probably, he probably is a free agent. They, they just kind of claimed him off waivers. So yeah, maybe bringing back a Veld here. Who knows, right? Like the Packers, Packers have guys that they like in terms of tackles. And I know kind of what their speed is. I think they're going to draft a tackle in the first round. I've sort of said that um, a few times and that's where I think they're going to land. I haven't really changed my opinion on that because I think what the ta- the tackle market is just going to be great. Like I think you're going to have guys that are there that maybe should be, you know, pick 15 or pick 20 and you end up getting them at like pick 29. But I do know that Brian Gunacus likes to move up and he's moved up in every draft so far. So maybe he does move up to get a receiver or to get a linebacker or to get a cornerback. Maybe he moves up to get like a guy like JC Horn, right? Who everybody's kind of now saying he might be cornerback number one. And if he is, then that might mean that the Packers have no shot at JC Horn because he could get drafted by Denver who desperately needs a corner at that ninth position in the draft. So we'll just kind of wait and see, right? But the fact is, is that there are a lot of tackles available uh, next year at the early part of the draft. And so I I think getting rid of Wagner was a no-brainer from a cost savings perspective. And now we'll see what Green Bay does with their cap. And and this is all part of the Rust Ball plan. So where where is it next? Is it J.J. Watt? J.J. Watt saying he needs some time. Uh, someone chirped him like, can you just sign with the team already? And J.J. Watt said, look, man, it takes me an hour to decide what restaurant I'm going to get food from, from DoorDash. Nice little DoorDash plug there from J.J. Uh, but he's like, so it's, it's going to take some time. So it seems like J.J. is pretty content with kind of letting this sort of drain out. And now I will say J.J. is old news until whenever he decides to make his decision. But it does not seem like we're getting a J.J. Watt decision anytime soon. So the rumors of that J.J. Watt and the Packers were a quote done deal is not necessarily true at this point. And maybe it is. Maybe he'll prove us all wrong. And, you know, Kirksey and and Wagner's departures were a way to usher Watt in because they had to clear more money or they make more moves to clear money. And Watt is now your your quarterback. Watt is now, at least I don't think he's going to play quarterback. Watt is now your your defensive lineman. and, And here we go. But we'll just have to wait and see. Um, we'll have to wait and see if the Packers are going to make any more moves um, because they're still not out of the woods yet with the cap. Just making these two moves is not going to solve everything. They're going to have to still be a little more creative. And it's, I mean, it's, we all know what they have to do. I think we all see it. It's the question of are they going to execute that or are they going to try something different like trading Jordan Love, which would free up $3 million and maybe get a premier player out of that or get a high draft pick to kind of continue to rebuild this roster and spend less money next season and focus on those free agents or the Aaron Rodgers restructure, whatever that looks like. So again, Rust Ball has only begun. We will see what other moves uh, the Packer Cap Wizard can make. Lastly, 
I just wanted to talk about golf really quickly um, because I really like golf. Golf is probably one of my favorite things to watch when football is not going on. I'll still watch it when football is going on, but I'm not as dialed into it. The Genesis Invitational yesterday was an awesome tournament. Was one of my favorites that I've watched in recent memory. Now, the Waste Management Open a few weeks ago was just as good, and golf has been in a really good spot since the Farmers. Uh, was that an invitational too? I think since the Farmers Invitational or Farmers Open, Farmers Insurance Open. I think it's an open. You know, the, the open invitational shit, whatever. So since the Farmers, golf has been in a really fun spot. Like, the Patrick Reed controversy was the Farmers. The Waste Management, you had Brooks Kepko with his comeback. Uh, the Pebble Beach Tournament, which everybody kind of was poo-pooing because so many people opted out of it. You had Daniel Berger just come out of nowhere and win that fucking thing and was awesome on Sunday, you know, just dropping eagles in everybody's faces. And then in this one, you had Max Homa, again, another really well-liked guy who came through in the clutch winning at his home course and delivering after he had missed the three-foot putt that he looked like he was going to clinch it on 18. He wasn't going to need sudden depth. He read the putt completely wrong. Nick Faldo, who gets a lot of shit from golf Twitter, he he was right. He was like, look, he read this wrong. Like he should be kind of over it on the right. And he went straight center. And that's not how you should have done this. And Homa misses the putt. He hits the ball on 10 right to the woods. And it look again, he looks like he's fucked. And somehow, someway, Max Homa figured out how to win this tournament. And that's an incredible resolve and deserves a ton of credit for that. And now has the Genesis on his resume, which Riviera is one of the harder courses to win. Some people think Riviera should host a major. It has a ton of respect in the golf community. So this is a huge win for Homa. So I was going to do this whole thing about, I don't know how to do golf on this podcast because I don't necessarily know how many people care. I don't know how many people are into it. It's not a Wisconsin sport. There's only a few Wisconsin ties, and Steve Stricker doesn't play in a ton of tournaments anymore. We don't have that young Wisconsin golfer, which would be great if we did. I mean, there was opportunities, right? Jordan Nugbauer or whatever his name was. He was a guy who people thought could break through out of Mequon. He didn't. Uh, but yeah, you don't have the Jerry Kelly, Skip Kendall, uh, Mark Wilson. So it, there was like four was four guys in the PGA that played that were from Wisconsin. Now you basically have nobody. So it's like, do we talk about golf on this show? I actually really like to. I I enjoy it. I watch it. I know it. So I, I and I love talking about things that I I've watched and things that I have an opinion on. There might be some golf tournaments where it's like. Yeah, that thing was a fucking dud. We might mention it at the very end and then that's it. But golf is in such a good spot that I would, if you think golf is boring, okay? And you think golf is, you know, something that you only watch maybe if Tiger's playing. Like maybe that's what you do. Or you only watch majors. I would recommend spending some Sundays with golf. Golf is in such a good spot. And there are so many good tournaments upcoming too. Like you have the World Golf Championship in Bradenton, Florida. Now we know nothing about this course. This course hasn't hosted anything since an amateur, U.S. amateur in back in 2018. And Bryson DeChambeau won that tournament. So you're like, oh, is Bryson the favorite? I don't know. 
it, it favors long hitters. And I would say I have like a Justin Thomas vibe to this, even though JT really hasn't played that well. Given the controversy, the death of his grandfather, I just don't know if he's in the headspace right now to win a tournament, but I do get some JT vibes off this. He also is great in no-cut tournaments. I don't really understand it, but he's really good when it comes to no-cut tournaments. Besides all of that, it's an awesome event because it's a World Golf Championship, meaning you're going to get a lot of good golfers playing in this tournament. So there's not going to be this like off switch. Like I look, I forget what the tournament is after. I think it might be the Arnold Palmer. It might be the players. But the fact of the matter is, is like you're going to get the best of the best playing golf for the next three weeks. So there's, and well, last week was last week. So you missed last week, but there is no reason you shouldn't be buying into golf right now. Yes, that's correct. They are, the Arnold Palmer is the week after. And then after that is the players. And then the Honda follows that. So these are all awesome tournaments. Like this stretch of golf is crazy. You get the World Golf Championships. You get the Arnold Palmer. You get the players. And then you get the Honda Classic. And the Honda is maybe a step down. And that'll be the weekend of the NCAA tournament. But that's still a really good tournament. That's still an awesome tournament to watch. And then you have match play following that which match play is a ton of fun because it's it's a different type of golf. It's more competitive. It feels a little Ryder Cup-esque. And then after that, Texas Open, which isn't too much, and you just you can kind of ignore that one. And then it's the Masters. So that's awesome. So this is the time to buy into golf. I would push all my chips into golf if I were someone not a fan. So that's my recommendation to you. That is my sell that is basically me saying, yeah, we're going to probably talk about golf if the tournament is worth talking about. If it's not, then we'll probably ignore it and we'll probably just mention it saying, all right, so-and-so won the tournament this weekend. It wasn't much of a, a Sunday affair, but yeah, the last few weeks have been electric, man. So keep watching golf. And if you're not a golf fan, I hope I've sold you on tuning in, chatting with us on Twitter about it and having fun. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Daily Tap. All right. See you. Bye.